1: Well, hello there and welcome. It's election day. Sorry, that probably sounded more ominous than I meant it to, but it's election day. Actually, uh, I'm I'm not that stressed. Uh, Having voted by mail earlier, I uh, got that all taken care of, but it's going to be a day where a lot of people are going to be on edge and we'll have some pretty interesting things to discuss in the course of today's program. Uh, one of the things we'll be doing is uh, connecting up with Eric Peters come the bottom of the hour. And Eric will be talking with us about uh, about how the vote we cast today, believe it or not, will reflect in the automobile that we'll be able to purchase in 2025. I know people think, well, that's kind of a stretch, but wait till you hear him break down the regulatory rigmarole for us. We're also going to talk about what it means to be at war with coronavirus. Once again, we're starting to hear that warlike language from different leaders And, uh, you know, when that happens, it's always a bad thing, right? The war on poverty. We got more poverty. The war on drugs. Drugs are still as as bad as ever. The war on terror. Yeah, we all lost our freedoms and the terrorists uh, kind of faded away into nothing. Hmm. So the war on coronavirus. Okay, if there's a a good thing to this, it's that uh, there are some things being done to the population at this time that would very likely constitute war crimes. And I would not uh, be opposed to seeing a Nuremberg-like tribunal put together to hold these public officials accountable who have destroyed so many lives through shutting down businesses, through arresting people, through artificially keeping people from their loved ones in the name of trying to protect them from a virus with which we are at war. We'll talk about that coming up with Eric as well. In the meantime... How hard is it to stay informed? It's not easy, right? I mean, if you're a person who really tries to, to be aware of what's going on around you, to be conversant in some of the various issues and, and intrigues of the day, it takes serious effort. In fact, so much so that some people actually kind of become addicted to it. Yes, I'm looking at the mirror when I see the guy looking back Is always looking for what's going on, what's going on. Hey, hey, heard anything? Got anything? Got any news? That's me. And I hate it. But I think Jeff Minnick has a really good take on how the media keep us ignorant. And it's not through outright lies. I know Trump is fond of talking about fake news. And there's there's plenty of fake news. I mean, CNN is just, it's it's such a joke that, uh, you know, it's it's hard to believe there are people who take it seriously. And yet there are, there are those who do. And they'll sit there and feed on a steady diet of it. Oh, oh, orange man, bad. But the biggest problem we see is, the things that aren't reported. That's where the ignorance really begins. That's how we're kept in the dark. It's those stories that, uh, well, let's take, for instance, the Hunter Biden story. Has there ever been a more concerted effort to pretend that, but this, this is nothing. Right, we don't even know if this is legit or not. But this is the very same media that with a straight face told us over and over for three years plus. Oh, yes, the steel dossier indicates that some really bad things happened between the president and Russia. Really? None of that that came to fruition. They impeached the guy, and he's most likely going to get elected today. At any rate, Jeff Minnick says many people of all political persuasions, including myself, find much of mainstream news opinionated and biased. Negative media coverage of President Trump, for example, ran as high as 99%. That was back in May. Now, he says, this slanted news does serious damage to our republic. It's divisive, but it also causes ignorance. For instance, he says, two days ago, I met a man in his mid-30s who gave me a blank look when I mentioned the scandal surrounding Hunter Biden's hard drive. When I asked another woman, a Democrat, what she thought about the possibility of Joe Biden having dementia, she had no idea what I meant. He says, but there is a threat to an informed citizenry as great as prejudicial reporting, and that is negligence. The MSM not only keeps us in the dark by their bigotry and their deliberate omission of certain stories, but also by their inability to broaden their reporting. Since January, he says the media has focused continually on the pandemic sweeping the globe. They've battered us with statistics, with, with terrible stories of nursing home deaths, and with arrests made when a church or business opened seasoned with the opinions of experts. The Black Lives Matter movement, with its protests and riots, occasionally nudged aside the headlines or the pandemic as worthy reporting. But generally, coronavirus remained front and center in the headlines. And the nomination and confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court dominated the news for a few days. And with the election season, those who watch televised news now find themselves in a storm of opinions, polls and speculations. Meanwhile, he says this hurricane of headlines has swept away events taking place around the world. For instance, how many Americans have a clue about the current political machinations of the Chinese Communist Party? How many of us know that naval forces of the United States and Japan are this week conducting joint military maneuvers in the face of rising Chinese aggression in that part of the world? And what about Hong Kong? Last winter, that city's conflict with Chinese Chinese Communist Party made lots of headlines. Well, what's happening there now? France may impose another lockdown because of an increase in coronavirus cases, and French citizens have been murder victims of Islamic terrorists twice in the last two weeks. Are most of us aware of these incidents? He says that's unlikely. And by the way, what's happening on the coronavirus front in the British Isles? We haven't heard much about Brexit lately either. Jeff Minnick says the Trump administration has made great headway in bringing peace to certain parts of the Middle East. Yet the little we hear about it undercuts its huge significance. Closer to home were the recent riots in Philadelphia. But how many of us saw the mob throwing eggs and rocks at a Trump-supporting caravan of Jewish Orthodox families in Brooklyn in the last week? That Twitter and Facebook censored the Hunter Biden computer story is a huge scandal. Yet how many media outlets ignored the story completely? By the way, that is a huge story in and of itself. The fact that the media would spike that story should tell you just about everything you need to know about whether they are there to inform you or whether they are there to manage your understanding of the world around you. All right, back to the article. Jeff Minnick says, many in the press could stand a long look in a mirror. They might begin by reading their own code of ethics. If they can't bring us some straight stories, if reporters and newscasters cannot report what a politician actually said or what some public figure did, that Americans should turn off their televisions and look elsewhere for their news. Some of these folks like to quote Thomas Jefferson on the importance of the press. it left to me, he once wrote, to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government, I should not hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. But Jefferson later noted, Nothing can now be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. The real extent of this state of misinformation is known only to those who are in situations to confront facts within their knowledge with the lies of the day, end quote. Jeff Minnick concludes, when the press takes political sides and neglects major stories, it's no longer free, and neither are those who take their news from it. So what's the alternative? Well, as crazy as this may sound, I would say, do what Jeff recommends. Turn off The news, turn off the media. Are you talking about turning off your show? Yes. If that's what it takes, turn it off. And move ahead with your life and seek out information that actually matters to you. Look, the first thing you're going to notice when you turn off the news, when you unplug from the news media matrix, is you're going to find that the world starts looking much more normal within a matter of hours, at most a couple of days. You start to notice that there are people with whom you have friendships and relationships. There are neighbors you haven't spoken to in a long time. But mostly you're going to notice the level of fear and anger in your life is going to take a noticeable drop. Why do you suppose that is? Well, I can tell you that it's because news media understands to get the clicks, to get people to click on that story and follow through and read the story, they have to generate some form of outrage. There has to be a sense of either anger or or fear, or better still, a combination of the two of them, to suck people in. Because believe it or not, those are very powerful emotions to motivate us to look more deeply into a story. Look, we all know people who wake up in the morning and the first thing that they have to do, I mean, this is like the the beginning of their day. They don't say their prayers in the morning. They don't do a yoga sun salute. Nope, I get on social media and I post something that tells you how much I hate Donald Trump or Joe Biden, or whatever. But the bottom line is, people are encouraged to get up and vent some kind of negativity. And then the rest of the day is spent just trying to track down more evidence of why this negativity that I've embraced is the right thing, and how I was right to hate this person, or that group, or you know whatever this issue may be. Now, I'm not saying that uh, you know you can't get informed in the process. You can learn a few things along the way. But does that really sound like the best way to spend that limited amount of moral energy that each one one of us brings to the day? It just seems like we could be doing something a little bit more effective. Maybe we'll talk about that when we come back.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. So
1: yesterday afternoon, I had uh, Chris call in. I believe he was on the job washing windows in Springville. But Chris dropped a few truth bombs, and wow, did it get some people wound up. In fact, I could not get to the calls that kept pouring in um, because Chris suggested something that I know a lot of people found very um, difficult to consider. Maybe they found it outrageous, and he suggested that uh, not much is going to change, regardless of who wins this election today. And I know I, you know, I see what uh, I see what uh, the Democrats and what uh, Biden are proposing. I see, you know, what the, the black bloc uh, little Antifa activists out there in the street are threatening. If they don't get their way, we'll keep hurting you if you don't give us what we want. And I, I get that uh, there there is a choice. You know, the, the choice, I think, may be more clearly defined between the parties. But there is truth to what Chris was saying, and I want to back up what he was saying with an article from John W. Whitehead. America after the election, a few hard truths about the things that won't change. And I get, this is a hard thing to consider, because, we're, we're, if, look, if Trump wins, a lot of us are going to feel this sense of relief. Oh, thank goodness. Joe Biden, a.k.a. Kamala Harris, are not going to get in and start to, you know, the wholesale dismantling of what remains of a constitutional republic. And it's true. There may be some friction for a while. It may slow them down. Um, We shall see. But the bottom line is, even if Trump wins, even if Trump continues on uh, the populist path that he has been on for the last three and a half years, which is not necessarily all a bad one there are some things that are going to stay the same. John Whitehead says the American people remain eager to be persuaded that a new president of the White House can solve the problems that plague us. I mean, come on, the Democrats are saying this is a battle for the soul of America. Not when you consider what is going to remain regardless of who wins. And John Whitehead says no matter who wins this presidential election, you can rest assured that the new boss will be the same as the old boss And we, meaning the permanent underclass in America, will continue to be forced to march in lockstep with the police state in all matters, public and private. In fact, he says it doesn't really matter what you call them. The deep state, the 1%, the elite, the controllers, the masterminds, the shadow government, the police state, the surveillance state, the military industrial complex. So long as you understand that no matter which party occupies the White House in 2021, the unelected bureaucracy that actually calls the shots will continue to do so. He says, In the interest of liberty and truth, here are a few hard truths about life in the American police state that will persist no matter who wins the 2020 presidential election. In fact, he says, these issues persisted and in many cases flourished under both Republican and Democratic administrations in recent years. And truth be told, when I give you this list, you're going to hear some things that actually got worse under Republican administrations, like George W. Bush, simply because conservatives tended to uh, relax. Ah, we we can take it easy. Our guy's in charge. So what will continue, regardless of who wins? Well, police militarization will continue. Thanks to federal grant programs allowing the Pentagon to transfer surplus military supplies and weapons to law enforcement agencies without charge, police forces will continue to be transformed from peace officers into heavily armed extensions of the military. Over-criminalization will also continue. John Whitehead points out, in the face of a government bureaucracy consumed with churning out laws, statutes, codes, and regulations that reinforce its power and value systems and those of the police state and its corporate allies, we will all continue to be viewed as petty criminals, guilty of violating some minor law. According to law professor John Baker, There is no one in the United States over the age of 18 who cannot be indicted for some federal crime. So consequently, consequently, rather, we now find ourselves operating in a strange new world where small farmers who dare make unpasteurized goat cheese and share it with members of their community are finding their farms raided, while homeowners face jail time for daring to cultivate their own varieties of orchids without having completed sufficient paperwork. That's what we're talking about over criminalization also jailing Americans for profit will continue John Whitehead points out at one time the American penal system operated under the idea that dangerous criminals needed to be put under lock and key in order to protect society well today a state's attempt to save money by outsourcing prisons to private corporations imprisoning Americans in private prisons run by mega corporations has turned into a cash cow for big business in exchange for corporations buying and managing public prisons across the country at a supposed savings to the states, the states have to agree to maintain a 90% occupancy rate in the privately run prisons for at least 20 years. Now you can see where such a scheme would just encourage incarceration for the sake of profits, while causing millions of Americans, most of them minor, nonviolent criminals, to be handed over to corporations for lengthy prison sentences which do nothing to protect society or prevent recidivism poverty will also continue endless wars that enrich the military-industrial complex will continue police shootings of unarmed Americans will continue SWAT team raids will continue more than 80,000 SWAT team raids carried out every year on unsuspecting Americans for relatively routine police matters overreaction has become the norm and we allowed it to happen. Nationwide SWAT teams have been employed to address an astonishingly trivial array of criminal activity or mere community nuisances, including angry dogs, domestic disputes, improper paperwork filed by an orchid farmer, for real, and misdemeanor marijuana possession, just to give a brief sampling. John Whitehead says the government's war on the American people will continue. We, the people, are no longer shielded by the rule of law, and while the First Amendment, which gives us a voice, is being muzzled, the Fourth Amendment, which protects us from being bullied, badgered, beaten, broken, and spied on by government agents, is being disemboweled. So you don't have to be poor, black, or even guilty to be treated like a criminal in America. All that's required is that you belong to the suspect class that is the citizenry of the American police state. The oppression and injustice, be it in the form of shootings, surveillance, fines, asset forfeiture, prison terms, roadside searches, and so on, will come to all of us eventually, unless we do something to stop it now. This is one of the big ones, and I don't think many people would disagree. As far as what will remain after the election, government corruption will continue. And here's the harsh truth. Government is not our friend, nor does it work for we the people. Now, most Americans instinctively understand this. When asked to name the greatest problem facing the nation, Americans of all political stripes ranked the government as the number one concern. In fact, almost 8 out of 10 Americans believe that government corruption is widespread. Our so-called government representatives don't actually represent us, the citizenry. So we're ruled by an oligarchic elite of governmental and corporate interests whose main interest is in perpetuating power and control. Whitehead points out that the rise of the surveillance state will continue. Government eyes are watching you. They see your every move, what you read, how much you spend, where you go, with whom you interact, when you wake up in the morning, what you watch on TV and read on the Internet. Every move you make is being monitored, mined for data, crunched and tabulated in order to form a picture of who you are. Coupled with the nation's growing network of real-time surveillance cameras and facial recognition software, he says soon there really will be nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. The erection of a suspect society will continue, in which people are considered suspects. Remember we used to be considered innocent until proven guilty? Well, this is being flipped on its head. He says government tyranny under the reign of an imperial president will continue. The government's manipulation of national crises in order to expand its powers will continue. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes. I would encourage you to check it out. It's a painful read. It hurts. It's not a pleasant thing. This is not going to feel soft in your eyes or your ears. But it's a reality that probably needs to be acknowledged. No, it definitely needs to be acknowledged. And the hardest truth of all is that none of this is going to change regardless of who wins the election today.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the show. I am joined now by Eric
1: Peters from epautos.com. Hail, wrong thinker.
2: (laughs) Hail, my fellow wrong thinker. Have you got your suitcase packed, uh, ready for the gulag?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll see how everything goes today. It's Election Day, and I understand you're going to be out there showing your face. No, really, your yes. face in public. How does that Absolutely. work?
2: Absolutely. Well, I'm going to go cast my vote, and I'm 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 not secretive about it. I'm going to be voting for the Orange Man, and uh, I'm going to be doing it, showing my face, and I'm going to be very interested to see how many of my fellow yokel, uh, local yokels are also showing their face at the polls. And I'll have a report about that on the site later today.
1: Just out of curiosity, what have you seen in the last few days in terms of uh, of face diapering? How many people are compliant? How many people have uh, kind of moved beyond it? It depends
2: where you go. If you go to my gym, uh, it seems as though life is completely back to normal. There is nobody wearing a diaper other than the girl at the desk and she's got it around her uh, around her neck, not around her face. Uh, everybody else is working out normally, but then if you go a block down the road to the Kroger, it's 98% of the people are walking around with the face diaper. And yesterday I actually saw a guy with not just the diaper on, but a plastic shield on top of that. And the saddest sight of all, he had his little look to be five or six year old uh, daughter uh, wearing her mask. And the term for that that one of my readers suggested is maskling. But I make light of it, but it's a really horrible thing. I get really upset and disgusted when I see a parent doing that to their kid.
1: You know, it's been curious because here where, where I live in, in my home state of Utah, um, I, I'm living in one of the hot spots of uh, what uh, the authorities are claiming, the biggest COVID outbreak mm-hmm. ever. They've been fanning the fear and just, you know, mm-hmm. really insisting everybody, you've got to do your part. Well, mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've worked a couple of days in the last uh, three or four days, and, and in, this is in a retail setting, and I'm not seeing nearly as many masks as I did before. It's, it's like people have just reached a point where they're like, whatever. And, and they just yep. don't care any longer.
2: Yeah, that's, that's good news, and I think uh, it bodes well for the election. I think perhaps the fear is beginning to wear off, and it may be wearing off because people are beginning to actually look around and, and take note of the fact that, you know what, I don't know anybody that's dropped dead from this. I haven't dropped dead from this. Uh, this seems a bit overblown to me. Maybe. That's my hope.
1: Well, talk to me about uh, Election Day. I know you had an article drop recently about how mm-hmm. the vote you cast today may actually be for the car that you're voting for in 2025. Mm-hmm. Walk us through that.
2: Well, sure, absolutely. Uh, if uh, if Biden should win, it's guaranteed that he is going to reinstitute the, uh, the federal corporate average fuel economy mandate that Obama tried to double and which Trump uh, rescinded. And that is going to have a very profound effect on uh, on the cars that are available for purchase. If you look at what cars are available on the market right now that are capable of getting 50 miles per gallon, the only ones that can do that are hybrids. So there is going to be a strong incentive to stop building other than hybrids and only electric cars or the vehicles that remain will get profoundly more expensive because of the fines that are attached to vehicles that don't achieve compliance with these federal gas mileage decrees. So that pickup truck that you wanted to buy that might have cost you $35,000 now could potentially cost a whole lot more than that, making it very difficult for regular people, ordinary guys like you and I, to go out and buy a new pickup truck.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, because of my friendship with you and because we've had the chance to talk about um, all of the regulatory uh, back and forth, I feel like I understand it a lot better than I did. Otherwise, I'd just be sitting there having sticker shock with everybody else going, you know, yeah. well, isn't, isn't this supposed to be a good thing? Isn't it supposed to be good that it's supposed to get, you know, these higher miles per gallon, you know, by government edict?
2: Well, yeah, it's never it's never explained to people, and this is a source of constant frustration to me, and it's the common theme that runs through so many issues, just like this business of the cases, the cases. You hear this all the time. How many people have tested positive today, but they don't give you the context – and tell you, well, of the people who tested positive, uh, only 5% of them actually had symptoms, and only 0.03% of them actually died. Which would calm everybody down. It would, it would inject some reasonableness into the discussion. With regard to cars, it's essentially the same thing. It's one thing to say, well, it wouldn't be, wouldn't it be great if every car and every truck averaged 50 miles per gallon? Who could possibly oppose that? The problem is that there isn't a free lunch, whether it's in engineering or anywhere else. And in order in order to achieve that, you have to compromise things, or you have to add complexity and cost to things. The hybrid thing, for example, in order to get a car to 50 miles per gallon, you now have got two drivetrains. You've got the gas engine, and you've got the electric motor and the batteries. That's not free. That increases the cost of the vehicle by about $3,500 to $4,000 relative to an otherwise similar car that's not a hybrid. So, yeah, the thing gets 50 miles per gallon, but you just had to pay $3,500 to $4,000 more for the car. So how is that a benefit?
1: No, that, that makes sense. But, but again, most people don't think about this until they're actually, you know, at the dealership getting ready to sign on the dotted line. And, and it's all being rolled out in terms of, well, but what are my monthly payments going to be? They're not seeing the cost as clearly as, as uh, what this is really costing them.
2: Yeah, but you know, that's only partially their fault. I do believe people have an obligation to perform their own due diligence. Here, but here. at the same time, at the same time, I think it's very despicable that the press uh, generally does not do its job, which is to provide information instead of preaching to people uh, about what political views they should have. Their job is to convey the information in an accurate manner and let the people formulate a judgment based on the information.
1: Talk to me about gas prices. I was just noticing yesterday that the gas jumped by about 10 cents uh, where I live um, what, what do you see on the horizon? Are, are we headed for higher mm-hmm. gas prices?
2: Oh, absolutely. If Well, it depends on the outcome of the election. Uh, if if Orange Man loses, we know the gas prices are going to go up because Joe, the hair-plug man, has promised they'll go up. He has said that he is essentially going to work to ban all forms of fossil fuels. And how are you going to do that? You're going to make them more expensive, aren't you? You're going to apply all kinds of new taxes to them to discourage people from using them. So if he wins, you can expect that your cost to get around is going to go up massively. On the other hand, if the orange man pulls it off and wins, I think gas prices will actually go down because uh, one of the key planks of his administration has been to get America energy independent, which he has achieved And to continue that policy, and if he does that, we'll be swimming in oil, and I think that oil could go or gas could go back under two dollars a gallon after the election if he wins.
1: Well, it's still pretty fresh on my mind. I spent last Christmas in Germany, and uh, between Netherlands and uh, the Netherlands and Germany, I was pretty shocked every time I would go to fill up my very small rental car. Um, Mm -hmm. It it cost a fortune, and that's of course you know paying by the leader.
2: yeah, it's about six dollars uh, equivalent per gallon. I think uh, in general in Europe.
1: Yeah, and it's it's something you notice. And I guess you know they, the the folks there in Europe just kind of take it for granted. Yeah, well, you know that's the cost of it. But um, it was kind of mm-hmm. nice to come back home to the USA and and be gassing up for around two bucks a gallon, as opposed mm-hmm. to the six or seven dollars I was I was forking mm-hmm. out there.
2: Well, leaving aside the obnoxiousness of and the regressiveness of that kind of a tax, where you're talking about a tax that amounts to several times more than the value of the thing being taxed. Um, Europe is a very different place in America. Uh, we, we tend to drive much greater distances, and that's part of what has given Americans the great freedoms that we have. You've got the freedom, for example, to work downtown uh, where the job is, the, the good-paying job, and then maximize the income that you have by moving your family out to a more affordable area in the suburbs, that you can drive to because the cost to drive is relatively affordable. Now, what happens to the person who's got that hour commute uh, every day uh, whose cost of driving suddenly goes up three times because of extortionate taxes applied to fuel? You know, it's going to have a a tremendously horrible effect on the average working class and middle class American.
1: Well, and something else I take away from your article, too, is that uh, my dream of ever owning a truck again uh, is getting sketchier by the day. Uh, if, if, these, uh, if these fuel economy standards are imposed, um, trucks are already you know, right there at the edge of unobtainium, and yep. this would push them, I think, well beyond that edge, at least for the average driver. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, sure. You look at the trends in the industry right now. Look at Ford, for example, which is pushing these twin-turbo V6s uh, in the F-150. They still have a V8. But uh, it's no longer the top engine in the half ton F 150. And General Motors has put a four cylinder turbocharged engine in its half ton truck. And they're not doing this because of consumer demand. They are doing this because it is the only way for them to continue to build these vehicles and achieve compliance with the federal FATWAs. And if the federal FATWAs go up anymore, uh, it's going to become impossible to build them. And they're going to then shift over to what we're already seeing, and I think we talked about it in one of our previous episodes. These electric trucks, like the, uh, the one that's being produced in, cooper- in, in tandem, General Motors and Rivian, and the electric Hummer that General Motors is putting out, and then there's the electric F-150. And, yeah, they're really glitzy and fabulous. The problem is they're 70000 bucks and up. I don't know about you, but I can't afford a $70,000 pickup.
1: Well, and, and as you've mentioned before, there are some other uh, problems that come along with, uh, with the electric vehicles, like time to recharge and, you know, limited distance and so forth.
2: Well sure those are other those are definitely costs but at the end of the day $70,000 is a bridge too far. $50,000 is a bridge too far. You you know you ought to be able to buy a bare bones work truck with four wheel drive for around 35,000 bucks and that's what's going to be destroyed by the policies of Biden should he
1: win this election. Okay, hold that thought. We are talking with Eric Peters from epautos.com. We will be back right after these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the show.
1: We are talking with Eric Peters from epautos.com. And Eric, I know we spent a lot of time in our conversations talking about uh, the woo flu, but uh, you happen to be one of the one of the few voices out there, I think, really fighting the principled fight to keep from being painted into a corner by uh, what you've called sickness psychosis. Mm-hmm. And you you got an <laughs> yep. interesting it letter. Is what it is? Well, you, you got a very interesting letter from a from a reader. Tell us about uh, yeah. WooFlu flu apples, World War Two oranges.
2: Well, the thrust of it was this comparison that's been brought up, and you knew it was going to happen—that we're at war with the WooFlu, flu, just like we're at war with drugs and we're at war with terrorism, these, these vague, ill-defined wars that have no tangible enemy, it, and that can't be won because how do you, de- how do you define the victory? Uh, at any rate, uh, I, I began my, um, my dissection of that by pointing out that comparing the Wu flu to the war effort of World War II falls on its face because uh, there actually was an enemy. We actually were at war with uh, the Axis, which was a real thing, and Germany and Imperial Japan actually did present a threat to the West and to the United States, whereas now we're at war with mental illness. We're at war with weaponized hypochondria, this idea that everybody is sick and people are supposed to sickness kabuki and walk around with these ridiculous face diapers on pretending that they're sick and living in mortal terror, a mortal terror of getting or transmitting a virus. You know, this has to be treated with psychiatric therapy, uh, not, not howitzers and grenades.
1: No, for for real, but at the same time, okay, if we want to treat this like a war, then I would assume that there's going to be some accountability for those who are uh, prosecuting that war, and for the damage done to the populace, there should be some answerable for war crimes.
2: Well, that's just it. In a way, we really are at war. We, I should say. The war is on us, you and I. It's on the. It's a war against the American people. It's a war against their peace of mind, uh, it's a war against their lives and their livelihood, being fomented by, at minimum, a grotesquely reckless and irresponsible media that is not explaining this issue to people. Uh, again, with the facts, pointing out the context of the cases, the cases, rather than just trying to t- to terrify people. At this point, I think it's inarguable that they are attempting to simply terrify people. And um, I should point out the uh, the parallel with World War II. Uh, at Nuremberg at the conclusion of the war, the the German leadership was brought to trial to face the consequences of what it had done. And one of the people brought to the dock was a man named Julius Streicher, who some listeners will know about. Uh, He was the editor and publisher of uh, a a Nazi fear-mongering sheet called Der Stürmer that routinely characterized the Jews as a bacillus, as a health threat that had to be exterminated. And By whipping up public frenzy and hysteria, he helped to facilitate the Holocaust, and he was judged guilty of having done that and was hanged uh, as a result of what he did. Now, I don't know whether the people who are responsible for what's going on ought to be hanged, but I do think they should be held accountable because, at minimum, what they've been doing is screaming fire in a crowded theater.
1: Yeah, well, it's... Yeah, and and it, depending on where you live, again, it, it is uh, swinging back towards that more authoritarian lockdown. I know uh, Britain right now mm-hmm. um, is really doubling down on it. Certain areas, I mean, California, of course, we knew Gavin Newsom was going to be leading yeah, yeah. out. You know, we're gonna we're gonna regulate how you can do your Thanksgiving, your Christmas. This is how people can sing. This is how they can have dinner together. There's just there's it's no end
2: by the way, I, I think uh, listeners should consider the following: If masks work, how come the virus in the cases is running amok in u k where uh, everybody has been forced to wear a face diaper everywhere they go for the past six months?
1: That's a good point. and yet we're we're supposed to believe, no, 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 the only reason it's it's not uh, working is because, well, it's Eric because of scoff laws like you who think That's they're right. they're above the laws of nature, blah, blah, blah.
2: Sure. Well, this is a counterpoint to that. There is essentially 100% compliance, forced compliance, in the UK and I think Spain, a number of other European countries, where you cannot leave your house without the face diaper. So if the face diaper works, those places should be past the plague. And yet uh, they're claiming that the cases the cases are on the rise of the rise again. So, you know, again, apply logic, apply facts to this. And when you begin to do that, you realize the whole thing is... It's not just absurd. Absurd it has an element of, 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 of kind of humor to it. It's silly, and you look at it, but this is far, far more ominous than that. This is an evil and dangerous phenomenon, and it has got to be stopped.
1: Agreed. Well, we're, uh, we're down to about the, the last five minutes here, Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk for a moment about, uh, there. Were, you posted an article about a, uh, an MMA fighter, who yeah. uh, who went on a, an epic anti-mask yeah. event. Tell me about uh, that young man. What did he have to say? Yeah,
2: I know next to nothing about MMA. I don't follow it, but I just stumbled on this video. He's a young guy. I think his name is Bryce Mitchell. He looks like he's probably 22. Uh, anyway, this kid uh, put his uh, rising career at risk when during a press conference following one of his fights, Uh, on ESPN, on live TV, he went on a terror about the mask mandates in his state, which is Arkansas, and the dictatorial decrees of the Gesundheitsfuhrer Asa Hutchinson, who, by the way, is a Republican, uh, and talking about how no laws have been passed, and this is an outrage, it's an affront to the American way of life. And he particularly focused on the effect that this is having on little kids uh, who stand absolutely no chance statistically, really, if you look at the numbers, of dying from the Wu flu and yet are being forced to behave in a pathological manner at school, standing apart from one another, wearing these masks. He said he saw some kids at an elementary school being scolded by their teacher for taking off the mask while they were outside playing and trying to be normal kids, and he was just disgusted and appalled by it, and he gave a really passionate speech, and I recommend anybody listening to this who hasn't caught it to go out and find that video. It's on my site. It's on other sites and just listen to what the man has to say.
1: Something you point out here that I I fear too many people have lost sight of is that there are times when it is not only um, admissible or acceptable, rather, but there's times when it's a a duty. You have a duty to fight.
2: Absolutely. You know, what was the the line? It's it's often repeated, but it's rarely followed. I think it was Edmund Burke who said that uh, the only thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So while most of us, the last thing we want is to fight or cause a ruckus, there comes a time when you have to take a stand. And if that means just walking around without your face mask on, that's, that's, that's what it means. It, it means calling, uh, calling out this, this, this outrageousness and saying enough is enough and it's time to get back to sanity and normalcy in this country.
1: Well, and, and oftentimes we'll hear people say, guys, it's just a mask. This is all it is, just a piece of cloth. What's the big deal? You point out in your article here, though, mm-hmm. there's a lot more than just a piece of cloth on the table. Oh, far
2: more. The, the, the whole thing is premised on the idea that you're sick. In other words, an assertion that there's something wrong with you. And if that flies, if you can be made to, to put on this degrading thing, it's not just a, you know like, like you're being asked to put on a tie. It's, it's a muzzle over your face. To hide your individuality, to, to show that you agree with something that you may profoundly disagree with, that's, that's profoundly wrong in my opinion, uh, and that's why I object to it. It's, it's all premised on this idea that you owe an obligation somehow based on somebody else's fear that you might be sick. Well, okay, I fear you might be a thief. How about you walk around wearing handcuffs? Because that way I'll feel safe, because I can see that your hands are are, are not going to get not going to grab my wallet when I'm not looking. It's a degrading, right. outrageous thing, and it shouldn't be tolerated.
1: No, I'm I'm with you, and again I appreciate the fact that you've been willing to make this principled stand. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I just I just got a text a moment ago um, from the boss at one of my part-time jobs um, saying uh, we're starting to see some concern about people not wearing their masks religiously. Um, and, and she's actually very sympathetic yep. to this. I mean, she, she's mm-hmm. she's pretty libertarian in her thinking, but she's mm-hmm. like, if you got to take a break, go somewhere out of sight of the customers, because unfortunately there are people out there who feel like it's my duty to, to be the enforcer, to complain, to, to, you know, make you do the right thing.
2: Yeah, and those people are utterly beneath contempt. I don't care what their motives are. They're despicable people. They are like the people in Germany who looked for signs of wrong think. You know, somebody who maybe said uh, something unflattering about Hitler or who threw their armband in the corner. They're the same kinds of people, and I have zero tolerance for them.
1: Well, agreed. Let's talk about your site here for a moment. we got about one minute sure. left. Tell me about uh, Eric Peters Autos, and tell me about your sponsors.
2: Well, sure. Uh, my site, ericpetersautos.com, it's the place to go if you'd like to talk about libertarian politics. If you're just interested in cars, New cars, old cars, motorcycles, anything having to do with driving and having fun with cars, working on cars. Um, and as far as the rest goes, well, uh, I recommend people check out the National Motorist Association, which is sort of the libertarian version of the American Automobile Association. Uh, also, Valentine One Radar Detectors, really great stuff. Great way to avoid getting a piece of pay and paper from an armed mm-hmm. government worker.
1: Excellent. And, and you still do things with AMSOIL? Still do things
2: with Amsoil, highly recommend their products, uh, and again, when I recommend something it's because I use it personally, I I, I don't just shill for some company that throws me a check for their product.
1: Okay, we'll have links to uh, Eric's site and to the stories mentioned today. Eric, best of luck and uh, go forth and exercise your vote. You know I will, I'll have a report shortly.
0: This is is The Brian Hyde Show.